Welcome back, everyone, to the Irrational Sports Podcast. I'm Ken Harrison, and it is another college football night, and we have not one but two guests with us this evening. Stephen and Cameron, welcome to the three-man college football pod. Well, thank, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, guys. Is anyone um, a little bit depressed that we're already two weeks through this? I'm just getting ramped up, man. Good for you. Good for you. Let's not let's not think about what might end, right? Let's just see what's in front of us. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready for this podcast. I'm in my my million dollar recording studio with my four dollar uh, Apple headphones on. Got my cup of water ready. I'm I'm good to go. I've got probably like ten tabs open on my computer right now. <laughs> you are ready to go. Then that's awesome. Stephen's yes. bringing his A game tonight. <laughs> You know, I will say, in defense of the $4 Apple headset, the audio quality actually is decent on those things. Good. That's great. I've you, debated getting a microphone, like an official, like a podcast microphone, but uh, just haven't pulled the trigger yet. You know, as we take this thing to the next level, that'll be the next step. Yes. So if you want to submit donations, please do that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll include banking info at the end of the call. Please send those over. <laughs> yes. Routing info. Yep, absolutely. Well, before we get to the football, I watched a ton last week, as I'm sure, Cameron, I know you watched a good amount as well. Steven, I know you caught up late, but you were busy Saturday part of the day. Yeah, I was out uh, suffering in the backwoods of Utah on a 50-mile mountain bike race, and but I survived. It was brutal. Uh, it was a lot of fun, a lot of pretty, pretty uh, scenery and awesome trails, but um, I finished, which was, was uh, the main goal. And now I'm here. I did miss a lot of college football. I, I only had the energy to stay awake uh, through the Stanford-USC game. And that was about it. Now, what makes one decide to go ride a mountain bike for 50 miles in the mountains? And just a mixture of, of uh, craziness and stupidity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was mostly for the challenge of it, and it was definitely a challenge. That's was impressive. Yeah. What was your time? Uh, it took about eight hours. Well done. So, I, I do have it. one question for you, Stephen. Yeah. Now, I'm not uh, a true mountain biker like you. I, I mostly stick to the uh, spin studio at the gym. <laughs> but... Uh, do you go with the padded spandex uh, pants? Because I think the longest I've sat on a spin bike is maybe two, two and a half hours, and you are filling the seat after that. So Yes, 100% have the, the padded shorts. All right. In my defense, I wear loose shorts over the, the tight ones. Um, I'm not fully committed yet. <laughs> Without any further delay, let's get to the recap of the Week 2 action. And let's start with probably the, the most high-profile matchup of the week, at least in our minds. The Pac-12 showdown between the Stanford Cardinal and the USC Trojans. The game that I'm sure Steven, of course, made a point to watch after his race. Yes, I had it set to record. <laughs> and I was very much excited to watch it and i was sure that you were watching it and i was trying to ignore my phone and uh, <laughs> thankfully you did not ruin it for me and so uh i'm actually curious to hear your opinion um on this one yeah. i mean the stanford i think nothing really surprising it was it was good to see kind of the bend but don't break defense mm -hmm. and you know they did give up some rushing yards i thought usc did a decent job on on the rushing side of the ball, and I mean Stanford's offense. I'm I think I'm happy with it. I, I'm happier with it this from what I've seen in the first two weeks than I was I think the entire season last year, and probably the entire season the year before that. Mostly because it's more balanced than it has been in the past. We they're they're letting letting KJ Costello open up a little bit more. They're trusting him. I think David Shaw is finally um, willing to do that. He hasn't done that since Andrew Luck, I don't think. <clears throat> and, you know, we've got several more passing touchdowns than we do rushing touchdowns. Uh, Bryce Love broke one um, this week, which felt good, and he also scored a touchdown. So I thought they were they looked pretty good on, on offense. 
I I'm still a bit concerned on defense against like an elite offense. I wouldn't consider which is sad, sad for USC to be considered not elite yeah, offense, but they're uh, not. I, unfortunately, I don't think they are, and uh, I I'm not. I'm not 100% confident in Stanford right now. I think I think they're a good team. I don't think that they're an excellent team, and I, I, they're not a playoff team yet. So hopefully their their defense can can evolve. I, I see some emerging playmakers. I mean, there's Okariki, which he I mean, not, he's not emerging by any means, but he always seems to be in the right place at the right time. Um, he had the fumble recovery this last game, but uh, promising performance. On the Stanford side, not not so great on the USC side. No, not very great on the USC side. And I think on one hand, you could look at the final score and say, hey, defensively, they held Stanford to 17 points. And when you hold Stanford to 17 points, you should expect to win the game. Bryce Love got on track, but really broke one long run. Mm-hmm. Aside from that, they held him in place decently. Much better against the run than they were the previous week against UNLV. But at the same time... I get the sense that Stanford took a look at USC's offense, realized pretty quickly that nothing was going to happen offensively for for the Trojans. And I do feel like Stanford went pretty vanilla offensively because they didn't need to. So I don't know if I can give the USC defense that much credit for holding Stanford because I think Stanford went vanilla pretty quick. Yep. It's sad because it's nothing new, but USC's offensive woes come back to the offensive line. And I think one major difference is last year you had a guy in Sam Darnold who was more mobile in the pocket, a little more experienced, and could at least cover up some of those deficiencies. And granted, they still paid for it against Ohio State, for example, late in the season last year. But JT Daniels is not as mobile. Never really faced a pass rush at modern day. It's hard when you're in high school and you've got just elite offensive line talent around you, right? And you're playing everyone that's so far below you. And I think all that conspired to make it a really... Really, really just disappointing showing on the offensive side. I got to tell you, though, Stanford's defensive backs are impressive. Yeah. I mean, they basically yes. took Amon Ross St. Brown completely out of the game. And it seemed like their only play was they were trying to go after, I think, it was it a Beto on the other side? But even yeah, he was so. making good plays. I think so. And they both, I think they got two picks, was it? Yeah, two picks. Yep. I'll tell you the other impressive thing with Stanford that, well, I don't know if it was impressive, but it was just nice to see was um, the the receiving, or and, and particularly Caden Smith at the tight end spot. And, I mean, they, they used him effectively kind of in the slot and or up the seam, and I think it worked perfectly, and they used him at, at really good times, and it took pressure off of other players. So I think they've got kind of a, a good a quiver of, of weapons on the offensive side. It looks like it. And, yeah, I think, again, just a – some of it is they do have young talent on the offensive side. You've got some true freshmen out there. I, again, though, do feel like part of USC's problems come back to just coaching limitations, the ability to get the most out of the talent they have, especially on the offensive line, and just lack of a good schematic advantage. I, I didn't see a lot of creativity out of that USC offense. I didn't see anything to really try to counteract the pass rush. Very few use of tight ends. Just w- was a very basic game plan offensively, and it just obviously did not do the trick against a really good Stanford defense. So how do you, I mean, how do you think they go forward? Do you think they, USC is, is what I'm referring to. I mean, mm-hmm. I, in my opinion, they need to, re- to rely more on wear and car and give them the ball more. I thought that that was probably the best part of their game on Saturday. I think so, and honestly, I think to USC's benefit, they were never, I don't think, a serious playoff contender this year. I, I think we can, and yeah. obviously, I think this kind of crosses them off, barring some really, really odd things. The schedule is fairly manageable through throughout the conference this year, um, and I think we'll get more to the South in a minute. I think the South is kind of a wreck. So they've got a chance, I think, to play well enough to get experience this year. But, yeah, I think they're going to have to look more to the run game, at least against good defensive lines. Like, for example, the Texas game next week. They're going to have to figure out how to get the ball out of Daniel's hands faster or run the ball more so he's not just at the mercy of the opposing team's pass rush. All right. Looking around the conference, let's talk about a... I guess some signs of success for the Pac-12. 
a showdown here in my backyard, Michigan State and Arizona State, a game that Cameron and I predicted last week would be a close one for Michigan State, comes out the other side, a close three-point win for the Sun Devils. That that game had a couple of interesting things there at the end, and did you see any of it, Ken? I did. I watched pretty much the entire second half. Okay. So there, there's a couple of things that uh, that I found pretty interesting, and the the most interesting was just that last drive by the Sun Devils because that was probably one of the you know best uh, situations of time management that I've seen in college football for a long time with the way that final drive played out and that running back had a chance at the end zone on that one play uh, with about two minutes left and he kind of stumbled as he was running around that right side mm-hmm. and he got the first down but didn't get into the end zone and I think that was actually a, a blessing in disguise for him because uh, Michigan State had already used two of their timeouts. They only stopped the clock one other time and Arizona State pretty much you know, bled that thing down to uh, two seconds left and kicked the field goal and I just was very impressed with it, and, and maybe that comes from watching too many BYU games where you see them use, like, two of their timeouts in the first five minutes of the first quarter, and, you know, even Bronco Mendenhall, I thought he was terrible at clock management as well. So to see that final drive, um, in college football it seems like sometimes people score too early and they give the ball right back to the team and uh, give them the last possession, so... Could it be that the Herm Edwards hire may have been smarter than we all thought? A little savvy NFL experience out there. Oh, man. That's got to be the biggest surprise of the season. Oh, it's a shocker. At least right now. Right? Mm-hmm. We're two games in. but Yeah, yeah it, it's, it's a little early for overreaction, but you sit there and you look at Arizona State, then you look at what Arizona's done. We'll talk about them more in a minute, but my goodness, what, what, a, what a difference and outcomes two games in compared to what we expected. One thing I wish I'd known before this game, when Cameron and I picked it last week, Sun Devils undefeated at home against Big Ten opponents lifetime. Oh, really? really? Yeah. That's, that's a nugget. It's a clever little nugget there. Obviously, uh, won't have a game against the Big Ten again this year, but a another strong win for the Herm Edwards crew. The other, I think, big outcome that benefited the Pac-12 this week was Colorado's comeback win over Nebraska. And I just jumped in right at the very end of this game when Colorado was down and they were sitting right about their own 50. And after that terrible penalty, just boneheaded penalty on Nebraska secondary, they hit that deep bomb to go in and steal a game in in Scott Frost's debut there in Lincoln. It was a wild game. And it makes me wonder if Colorado is legit or not. Well, they need to be um, because I think that's one of the, the hot seats kind of especially in the Pac-12. Mm-hmm. And I think I don't think that McIntyre can afford to to give up another season like he has. You know, he had that one strong season, uh, was that year before last, and I don't think he can afford another bad one. So if he can get a few, you know, Pac-12 wins, and I mean, obviously Nebraska's a, a decent win, kind of left to be seen on that one if, if Nebraska was good or not, but I think Colorado needs to be good. Yeah, I think they definitely need another strong contender out of the conference. One kind of odd peripheral note that I think really benefited Colorado this week as well, Colorado State, who they thumped in the opener, went down and beat Arkansas on the road. And I didn't watch I didn't see any of that game, but I did hear that. Yeah, I didn't watch any of that game, but just as a strength of schedule boost and kind of a, I think just for the benefit of both Colorado and Hawaii, who also beat Colorado State, a nice out-of-conference win. And granted, Nebraska, or excuse me, Arkansas, you're one of a rebuild. They're not going to be very good, but still a pretty surprising result to have the Rams go down there and win deep in SEC isn't, country. Isn't Arkansas working with a new coach as well? They are, yes. Who, who do they end up hiring? I, I, can't, I can't remember, but um, it was one of the later hires. Yeah, Morris? I'm trying to remember the last name now. I remember they, they were chasing... Gus Malzahn, right? Which is kind of how Gus finagled yeah, that nice extension yeah, out of Auburn. Right. <laughs> Hopefully that works out for them. 
hey, two games in and it's good, so we'll see. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, maybe moving out of the Pac-12, let's talk a little bit about one of the other Real signature. Quick, Ken. Yeah. Real quick, one, one question for you. Is there any other fan base that's had a more disappointing start than Nebraska in the sense that their first game was canceled, you know, they didn't get their home opener, and then – you know, they had to wait an extra week and then to have that loss there against Colorado. I mean, that's, that's a good question. Yeah, you got to imagine that's a big letdown. I do feel like Nebraska falls, and granted, a lot of schools are, are guilty of this, definitely falls into the potential unrealistic expectations group. Let's call it the BYU syndrome. Let's just call it what it is, right? It's the BYU syndrome. And by the way, when Colorado hit that bomb, I was like, oh, Buffalo just went in and pulled a BYU and Lincoln. <laughs> and but here's the problem I think for Nebraska. I think Scott Frost long term is going to be great, but Nebraska has not been an elite team for a long time. And coming out of they play Troy next week, but after that at Michigan, then they play Purdue, but then they got to go at Wisconsin. They play at Ohio State later in the year. I mean that's nice. a that's three monster road games for them. And this is going to be a tough season for Nebraska, without a doubt. But yeah. I think you're right, Cameron, to, to have waited an extra week after the, the home opener gets canceled and then to kind of lose on a late bomb like that, it's got to be disappointing. The one upside is I think the people in Nebraska, hopefully by this point, have gotten a little used to disappointment. So <laughs> we'll see. They haven't had a lot of success the last few years. Yeah. Uh, uh, Ch- Chad Morris is the name of the Arkansas coach. There it is. He was at, he was at uh, SMU. Ah, that's right. Well, let's talk about maybe just a few other bigger results from around college football. One of their high-profile ones being Clemson on the road against against Texas A&M. Kind of rare to see a, a team as strong as Clemson going out to play another P5 opponent on the road. And a absolute thriller of a game really was a, a missed two-point conversion by A&M away from a potential overtime. Does but this, quite the does game. this help... help? A&M more than it does Clemson, even in the loss? I think it does. I think this lends a lot of credibility to the Jimbo Fisher rebuild. Yeah. And especially now that Arizona just sucks. (laughs) Yeah. No, I I think this does a lot. Um, Obviously, the road is going to get very tough for A&M. But you look at the fact that they're going to play the number one and number two ranked teams in the country within a three-week period, and they still got to play at Mississippi State and at Auburn and at home against LSU later in the year. It's it's a monster schedule. It's going to be a, you know, they're going to lose several of those games, but to play a team as good as Clemson that close, I think shows that A&M is probably closer than we think. Which, which, which game out of those do they steal? Well... Cameron and I did joke last week that AM has won every game on the road at Auburn since they joined the conference. Oh, shoot. Yeah, that makes me <laughs> a little nervous. Uh, my tendency right now is I'm leaning probably at Mississippi State or at home against LSU. Um, I'm still not 100% sold on LSU. I'm not either. So well, You might be this weekend. Yeah, this weekend might determine whether or not we're sold on LSU, won't it? Although... Well, we'll talk about that one, I guess. But <laughs> I, I think LSU is a good candidate to, to steal, mm-hmm. um, especially since it's at home. That place gets rocking. Holy moly. What is it? Isn't it like one of the largest? It's like 110,000 people or something? I like think that. so, yeah. I think it's one of the largest crowds. And they've got all the tradition, the whole, you know, the, oh, was yeah. the midnight yell the day before, you know, all the cadets and all that nonsense. I never understood why they have cadets, and they're not a they're not a military college, but whatever. And did you, I, I I'm right with you. I actually thought the same thing on Saturday, but uh, Cameron let me in on a little fun fact today regarding Texas A&M. Cameron, do you want to share that? So, Stephen, were you referring to the uh, the valuation yes. of, of yes. those teams? Yeah. So, uh, Forbes they posted their their valuations of the most valuable college football teams uh, a couple days ago. And Texas A&M is the new top dog. And that is, they have dethroned the uh, the Longhorns. And, uh, you know, the Longhorns have pretty much sat on the top of that list for, 
think three years in a row, maybe four. But uh, yeah, Texas A&M, they they had 148 million in revenue with a profit of 107 million. It's incredible. And so I mean, that's you're you're talking 41 million there in in the difference between revenue and profit, and you jump down to Texas in the number two slot. They were at 133 million revenue, so 15 million less than than the Aggies, and they're at 87 million in uh, in profit. So, you know, better profit margins and better revenue there for the Aggies. And I, I mean, I feel like for the Aggies when they jumped to the SEC, that was a little bit of, you know, saying. I'm tired of, of being the little brother and uh, playing second fiddle, and I, I just wondered. I, I would have been shocked had you had you given me a guess and said, "What's the most valuable you know college football program out there? Who's the number one?" Um, I I would not have guessed the Aggies. I mean, you've got Texas number two, Michigan number three, Alabama four, and Ohio State five. And I would have guessed any one of those four as the number one slot. I don't even think I would have had, you know, Texas A&M maybe even in the top ten. No, I I don't think so. I think you're totally right. This never happens if they stay in the Big Twelve. If they stay, and this has always been the issue of the Big Twelve. It's the Texas's access with the the Longhorn Network and the revenue that that network brings in for them, and their kind of unwillingness to break up revenue amongst the members of the conference. Mm-hmm. I still don't think this bodes well long-term for the Big 12 because there's always still that resentment towards Texas and that money and limits other conferences' ability to maybe take on a Texas. I know the Pac-12 looked at it at one point, but um, I, I think you're totally right. This doesn't happen if A&M stays in the Big 12. That move to the SEC is significant for them. And that value Who's the highest-ranked highest Pac-12 team on there? Um, I know SC was on the, the list. The Oregon Ducks are number twelve. Okay, so I figured mostly because of the Nike contract, but yeah, that's got to be of ninety-two million, profit of fifty-four, and USC comes in at number eighteen. And you know what? You know what's kind of interesting about that? So they're ahead of. I'm looking at this list. No other ACC school is ahead of Oregon, but one, two, three, four, five, six SEC teams are in front of them. Isn't that amazing wow. that six SEC teams are more valued than the highest the highest valued uh, Pac-12 team? It, TV revenue. Yeah, I, I just I'm totally shocked that it's A and M on the top of that list. I I would never have guessed that and. The it, it's interesting because it hasn't necessarily been reflected in you know winning like they're they've been I feel like they've been more competitive actually since they've gone to the SEC I feel like Texas A and M has actually played up to mm-hmm. their competition since jumping over. This also underscores why they were able to pay someone's buyout and move on, and that eight and five was not cutting it at this program. Because yeah. they've got the money to go out and get someone that they feel is better. And it's early, so we'll see what Jimbo Fisher brings. But that kind of money definitely pushes that. i got to say, though, $107 million in profit, and y'all can't pay the players? <laughs> oh, boy. And that's this just a can. crazy. This is a, yeah, this is a can. Well, they are paying them. Well, actually, that's true. You can't legally pay the players. <laughs> <laughs> you know they're getting oh, paid. Is- you're getting some crab legs down there, man. This is Jimbo oh, time. I know, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just wild. I think that's a really good point, though, that the move to the SEC has definitely proved profitable for them. Obviously, Texas is still in good shape financially, uh, but the product on the field doesn't transfer. I, you know, that's kind of fin- funny, too. The top three teams on the list, you could say have none of them have really lived up to expectations in the past mm-hmm. four to five years. And it's that second group... Bama, Ohio State, Oklahoma that probably on the field thump those previous three. And granted, they're still doing extremely well financially, just not quite at that level. That is interesting. Mm-hmm. 
Also interesting, Auburn really is not that far behind Bama in terms of revenue and slightly ahead in terms of profit. That doesn't surprise me. No, I, I think that's a, it's a program on the upswing. I'll put it that way. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Just jinxed it. We'll see. So one more maybe matchup result I want to talk about, and then let's get to maybe some previews and the like. This is a, probably a quicker one, and I just caught a few minutes of it because it really wasn't much of a game. But I think Georgia sent a strong message on the road against South Carolina this week. I think there was a lot of talk about the Gamecocks being at least competitive in the East and maybe giving, a, giving Georgia a run for it. And Georgia is, I think, still quite scary good. I, I agree with you, and I, I'm not as sold on, on South Carolina, but... Um... And for all of our South Carolina listeners, I uh, hope you're able to listen to this right now. Yes. <laughs> that is, is no fun out there right now. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I think Georgia is an elite team, and South Carolina is still a, an, like a, a good team, a decent team. So I'm not sure if it's as surprising maybe to me, but mm-hmm. – um, I, yeah, I, mean, I think just just the margin of victory, the fact that it was it wasn't even a close game, right? It was a forty-one to seventeen, just just smacked yeah. down by Georgia. Also, I think it's another reminder that the SEC East is still basically Georgia, and then six pretty garbage programs. I am the biggest Georgia fan, especially when it comes to SEC championship day. <laughs> <laughs> And I think just one last highlight of the the trash that is the East, University of Kentucky. Uh, After oh 32 years, Kentucky, congratulations. Well done, Kentucky. You have taken down the Gators. Well done. Enjoy it while you can. I don't think it's going to last very long. No, I don't think it is, but still a strong win. Yeah, we're still pretty high on Dan Mullen's ability to rebuild this program. But... Regardless, a, a significant win. That's a heck of a win. Well done, Kentucky. Well done, Kentucky. Well, let's talk about... Uh, should we talk about some games coming up this week? Let's do it. Let's, let's do it. Let's look yeah. ahead to week three. Actually, before we look ahead to week three, let's talk about hot seats. I don't want to skip okay. our favorite segment. The coaching college hot seat. And Cameron, you submitted a pretty good one. Let's start with uh, with your suggestion. Yeah, so mine is Willie Taggart from Florida State. And uh, Florida State struggled with Stanford. And I'll repeat myself. I did not say Stanford from <laughs> Pac-12. This is Samford. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually, uh, Stephen gave me a geography lesson at work, and that's a school in Alabama. Oh. And so... I lived right next to it. It's again. It was it was a game that I was mostly following, uh, just on my phone and, and trying to see what was going on. But Samford le- led for almost three and a half quarters of that game, and Florida State finally went down, uh, scored a touchdown to take the lead. But Samford had the ball, was driving and you know, was at least going to have a chance to, to make it interesting. And they ended up throwing a, a pick six interception that sealed the deal for Florida state. But I, as I was sitting there watching that and, and thinking about how poorly Florida state played against Virginia tech and then to, to have it follow up with that game, I thought, man, I don't know how much they're paying Willie Taggart, but if he loses this game to Samford, they might just, you know, buy buy out the rest of the contract and send him on his way after two games because, you know, Jimbo Fisher, it, it's an interesting thing with Florida State because it's not necessarily something where they had a down year of, you know, two and nine. They they did not perform the way that they were expecting after Francois went down in that first game against uh, Alabama. It kind of threw their whole year off, but. You know, it's not something that was unredeemable where they should be starting over from scratch. Well, so, and it's still a team, I think, loaded with talent, right? This is still a school that has recruited extremely well, still very, very deep talent-wise. And it's kind of surprising, too, because Taggart had 
a decent measure of success last year in Oregon, helping them bounce back mm-hmm. from from what was a down year, you know, in the last Mark Helfrich year. Oregon wasn't great, but expectations were low when they performed. They outperformed expectations, I felt like. But it is off to a miserable start for the Seminoles. Yeah. I think the only upside for the Seminoles is the schedule's pretty easier for the next few weeks. Got to go play at Syracuse. Yeah, it's easier than Stanford? I mean... Well, that's true, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying, yeah. if this is rock bottom... <laughs> <laughs> you got a few gimmies before you got to go play at the Hurricanes in a few weeks. So, okay. I guess we'll so, see. Uh, our, our friend Willie moved up to number three on coacheshotseat.com. Yeah, yeah. And by and the way, the, right behind him, Kalani right Sataki. <laughs> Which we didn't even talk about that. We, we got to talk about Cal versus BYU for a second. I got to tell you, watching Houston just destroy Arizona early on Saturday made me think. Yeah, BYU is going to be in for a hard time this evening against Cal. And not a super big surprise. Cameron and I, you know, we talked a little bit about it. We both favored Cal in this game. We thought Cal was a better team than Arizona. But I'd be curious, maybe Cameron, especially from your perspective as the most plugged in BYU guy, what you saw out of that game? Well, I I too saw the uh, beginning of that Arizona-Houston game, and there was a big uh uh-oh. Uh, after the first quarter in my mind because I mm-hmm. thought this Arizona team is is not not what it was cracked up to be. Uh, Khalil Tate and Lord Heisman should not be mentioned in the same sentence for the rest of the year. <laughs> and by the way, my bad, a huge miss because I was one of the people, and I think in our preview pod, saying watch out for Arizona, sleeper in the South Division. No, I was wrong. No. So... I'll tell you what, though. It was interesting to see that because uh, BYU's first drive, it was an impressive drive, but they did not come away with points. Mm -hmm. And they were actually decent with running the ball in the first half, and they went into halftime. Um, It was still a close game uh, at halftime. And you kind of thought, okay, they'll go in, they'll make some adjustments, and maybe we'll have a, a repeat of the Arizona game where they come out, they're firing on, on all cylinders a little bit more. But it was very similar to the Arizona game, but on the opposite side of it, where when Arizona and BYU played, Arizona came out and they tried to get it all back on every single drive mm-hmm. where they were throwing the ball deep and they were making bad decisions and they weren't playing to their strengths. And that's exactly what BYU did. I mean, they came out, and uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think they went three and out on every single drive up until they scored a touchdown late in the fourth quarter before they went for an onside kick. And it was just, I thought to myself, like, I'm I'm watching last week's game, but... In reverse. Yeah, in reverse. Yeah. So it, it was frustrating to watch because... Although uh, although Cal was was obviously much better than Arizona, it was still a competitive game, and I think that um, BYU could have still won that game, but it was frustrating to see uh, them come out and look exactly like the 2017 mm-hmm. inept offense. And I got to admit, I, I do love the wild mood swings of BYU fans. Who a week oh, yeah. ago were like, we're back, we're back. I love this new offense. I love this new coordinator. To, we are awful. We are terrible. Burn it all down. What is wrong with us? And I'm like, Cal's a good team. I mean, Cal will likely go bowling this year um, out of a very tough and very crowded North Division. They are a tough, physical football team, kind of the antithesis of what you'd expect sometimes from Pac 12 football. Um, mm-hmm. A really, really well coached group. So, I, yeah, I think it's really a factor of BYU played a much better team, um, a team that was much more, that was much tougher defensively, right? And I do have a few coaching concerns with BYU, and I'm sure you saw the broadcast. When BYU is making that late drive, they get the ball back with about three and a half minutes left down by 11 points. And the announcer are like, yeah, it turns out, uh, you know, they told us in practice that they don't really practice much of the two-minute drill. And oh holy crap, did it show because it took him the entire three minutes just to get the one touchdown they needed. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it was also pretty apparent that they don't practice onside kicks very often either. <laughs> uh, and how does that happen? I mean, if you're the kicker 
on a on a college football team and maybe Steven has some insight into what kickers do all day during practice but I mean I know I know you're limited on you know the amount of time that a kicker can be there just like every other player but you think that all you've got to do is kick an hour worth of field goals an hour worth of extra points and then and then you know run some run some onside kick drills right just run something you win on those two categories and you're likely going to win the game. Mm-hmm. And if you don't invest any time or effort into those, then you're going to suffer, right? You're going to get into games like this where it actually matters and you're going to be kind of stuck with your head in the sand. So uh, BYU, you should probably fix that. So here's a question too. Is it time to start thinking about a different option at quarterback or is that premature? I think it's premature only because, I mean, we're going up against Wisconsin. BYU is not going to win. Wisconsin hasn't lost a non-conference home football game for like 15 years. Mm. And it doesn't matter who BYU has at quarterback this week. They're yeah, not going to win. They'll get steamrolled, so, likely, regardless. There's no reason to go take your freshman quarterback and make that his first college football experience. What you know, Give him a week. Let McNeese State come in. Give them some reps then, and you know you could start to play around with with that. You know, I mean, we've got Washington after that, so it's not like it gets a lot easier. But it seems like McNeese State might be a good time though to break in someone else if you're thinking about a change. Yeah, and and I don't want to be the the crazed fan that sits there and says, "Oh, the sky's falling, everything's terrible, everything's horrible." But I do feel like. They are struggling in the passing games, and a lot of it, in the passing, a lot of it is just I feel like bad accuracy, bad reads, bad decisions. So it might be time fairly soon to consider that. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know how much you change and grow and develop as a senior. Yeah, you know, college quarterback. Like I think you know what you have. Yeah, you kind of are who you are at that point, right? Yeah. Well, let's uh, on that note, let's look ahead to next week. Starting with, actually, we're going to get to the big, big matchup at the end. But a few games that stand out. One of them, Boise State going on the road to play at Oklahoma State. A oh, chance man. for Boise State. I feel like we haven't had one of these in a few years. Like, Boise State going on the road to beat a higher-ranked team. Oddly enough, Boise State's actually ranked higher. Um, but obviously a big yes. Power 5 opponent. Boise State has been destroying teams offensively. Granted, it's Troy and UConn. But still a very intriguing matchup. I am super excited about this game. And it, it happens to be like at the same time, I think, as the LSU-Auburn game. Yeah, so I will so miss this really game. conflicted. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a, I'm a, Boise State has been near and dear to my heart ever since they beat uh, Oklahoma. Not Oklahoma State, but uh, in the Fiesta Bowl. Yeah. As many of us have probably or have seen. If not, you should definitely go watch it. But... Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm gonna have a hard time picking against Boise State in this game. Um, it seems like their offense is is firing on all, all cylinders right now, and they have a pretty high level of confidence. But it could turn into just a huge shootout, which would be really fun to watch. Oh, it'd be fantastic to watch. And I'm I'm kind of leaning, leaning that direction. Neither team has played anybody good just yet. Right. Oklahoma State's favored just by slim margin, two and a half points crazy though Boise State averaging in those two ones 59 points 617 yards a game Oklahoma State 56 points 674 yards a game so yeah so this could could literally be a first one to 70 wins (laughs) which would be amazing really which would be awesome to watch I I would be definitely down for that compared to like the LSU Auburn three to zero game Which yeah, I think is interesting, too, as I'm looking here at ESPN, the over-under for that game is 64. I'm not a betting man, but if anyone is, I would heavily bet the over in this game. <laughs> I think one team might score 64. So, yeah, I think that's going to be a wild game. I, I I, think just given Boise State's history, I'm inclined to lean that way, if not just for fun. It's always more fun to pick a team to go on the road and win a game like that than it is to pick Oklahoma State to win. Oklahoma State get their quarterback back? Uh, uh, Mace, no, no, Mason went to the pros. Mason's right, gone, yeah. Right. But so they've got a senior, Taylor Cornelius. But Taylor, again, not great competition, but 
728 yards, six touchdowns, three interceptions in two games. So, okay. that's you're still slinging it. Yeah, slinging it. But again, Missouri State and South Alabama. So with the grain of salt, but I'm uh, I I would I think again just for the sake of getting a fun game, I would lean Boise State by by probably a field goal in this game. Awesome. I'm I'm going with Boise State. I can't not pick them. <laughs> Cameron, how about you? I think I'm gonna go Oklahoma State. Are you contrarian? Well, that's probably that's probably smart. <laughs> it's just, I mean, would I be surprised if Boise State goes in and wins? No, but the uh, like you said, it's been a few years since they've had that signature on the road win, and so I'll take Oklahoma State. Fair enough. So another uh, high-profile matchup. Ohio State playing in Dallas and Jerry World against TCU. I don't know if Ohio State can manage without their beloved Urban Meyer, but they will have to for one more game. This this is an interesting one. I I haven't watched TCU yet, and after Ohio State just uh, hung it on Oregon State, I'm like I kind of gave up watching them until they actually played somebody decent. Yeah. And so, um, I mean, I guess from a general level, right now Ohio State's favored by 13.5 points. I think that's a bit generous, but maybe not. I do think Ohio State wins this game. The only thing that, you know, I've talked to a few other people. It's at TCU, for one. Um, it is Gary Patterson, which, you know, you can you can expect some, some pretty decent defense. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, I, I Ohio State has, has been very convincing, and I have a hard time seeing how TCU can have enough weapons to keep up with that offense. So I'm going with Ohio State on this one by probably, I don't know, 10 points. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to take Ohio State in this. I, I've been looking at the, uh, the line on that quarterback, Dwayne Haskins, uh, I don't know. I don't even know what year he is as far as uh, freshman sophomore, but sophomore, sophomore. Okay, and he's uh, through two games. He's forty-two of fifty-three, five hundred forty-six yards and nine TDs. So, I mean, it's hard to pick against that line. Yeah, it, it definitely is, and I think this is another kind of let's see who, what these guys are all about week because Ohio State opening with Oregon State and Rutgers, you're not going to learn much there. TCU, I think they played Southern, who's you know like FCS level than SMU, so we don't really know. I feel like much about either of these guys, but in a matchup like this, I'm still inclined to go with the team with the most weapons, which is Ohio State. What is your guys' thoughts on on Urban Meyer not being in this game? Is does he assist with any of the play calling um, on the either side of the ball? Is he simply you know, I, you know I, different I, coaches have different yeah? And I want to say that as part of his suspension, that wasn't it kind of a weird staggered thing where I think he's allowed to be back at practice now, I think, but not on the well, sidelines. Something along those where, lines. Where it could really hurt them is if they get into a close game and it's got to come down to you know time management and 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 making critical calls at the end of the game that that could make a big difference i don't know who would be making those calls on the ohio state side but you you definitely don't want to be caught in a chess match with gary patterson with you know four minutes left in the game and and you're tied Mm -hmm. um without urban meyer so I, i think that that could make the difference if i mean if this is if this is heavily favored in one side or the other obviously it's not going to matter but um, if it's a close game in the fourth quarter, I think that's probably where you would start to see maybe some holes in or some some leakiness in the Ohio State side uh, without Urban Meyer there kind of running the ship. I can see that, yeah. Regardless, I think Ohio State still wins by quite a bit. <laughs> they're just yes. they're just too good. All right, before we get to the Auburn-LSU matchup, one more for the week. The beloved Hawaii Warriors, favorite team of the pod this season, travel all the way to West Point, New York, to play the Army Black Knights. 
this How game. How long is that flight? To that flight it's is gotta be like ten hours. It's insanely long. When uh, when I was a young person living on the East Coast, we would you know travel back to California for the summers, and there was a few times where we would get up early in the morning. We would fly to San Francisco. My parents would leave us there with my grandparents, and they would continue on to Hawaii. And it was basically an exhausting day, right? Because you're basically on a plane forever. This game is going to kick off at 6 a.m. Hawaii body clock time. Man. That being said, I'm high on Hawaii. Cole McDonald, 13 touchdowns now, still no interceptions. And... Army having lost to Duke and beaten Liberty, I, I just have a hard time. If if Hawaii manages to get some level of sleep and rest and acclimation, I just don't see how you keep how you can keep up with Hawaii's offense as an option team like Army. So, uh, trivia, yeah, <laughs> easy trivia. This is a, a softball here. Uh, who has the most passing yards so far this season? <laughs> has Army thrown the ball yet this season? <laughs> oh, they actually have. 215 no, yards I'm on the season. About all, all college football. Who has oh, the most passing yards? Hawaii by far, I'm sure. They do. I mean, they have an extra game under their belts. 1,165, even then. I'm telling you guys, if you get um, the chance to watch the Cole McDonald experience, it's quite a bit of fun. He also has 13 touchdown passes, which is insane. Yeah. I I, uh, I feel good about this. Even though it's whole... I mean, Army, I think it's favored. I, I mean... Uh, uh, by the way, can you get more polar opposite teams? <laughs> exactly. I mean, it, I, I think from a style of play, from just you know, university. I mean, it's just yeah, it's it's kind of fascinating, right? It's it's going to be a very very disparate difference between these two teams. This game at one thirty two. No, this game is at noon, East Coast oh, time. Close. Yeah. Okay. Make, makes you wonder what day are they traveling out there. You know, usually college football teams, mm-hmm. they'll travel out. I know BYU has gone out to the East Coast like a day early. Yeah, they, they've, they've got to be traveling like on a Thursday, I hope. Probably I, traveling. Uh, I follow Hawaii's coach on Twitter, but I haven't seen anything yet about their travel plans. But you got to imagine that, yeah, they got to give themselves a little extra time to get acclimated over there. By the way, though, uh, Mishi Stadium at West Point, beautiful place to watch a college football game. I bet. Absolutely fantastic place to watch a football game. We'll talk more about visiting stadiums next week, but great place to go see a game. Awesome. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm taking gonna, Hawaii in this game. Yeah, I am too. Although Army's favored by six and a half, I I, I think just Hawaii's firepower is gonna be too much for Army to keep up with. I, I think Army and Navy obviously similar styles of play, and and Hawaii put up a ton of points on them, and I I. Always inclined to feel like Navy's defense is a little bit better than Army's defense most years, so I'm uh, I'm taking Hawaii. You've sold me on the Hawaii hype train, so I'm hey, coming with you. Get on and enjoy it. It is a lot of fun. <laughs> and now, yeah. I, I, you I'll go, with the Rainbow Rainbow Warriors. I mean, I've got no reason to pick Army, so <laughs> let's 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 go Hawaii. <laughs> I like it. You have a reason to pick Army. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the big showdown on the Plains at Jordan-Hare Stadium. LSU coming to play the Auburn Tigers. Did you say you're going to this game? I will be there on the fourth row at this game. Oh, shoot. Dang. It's going to be something. You're... We're not gonna. You're not gonna have a voice to record a podcast next week. <laughs> when are you going down there? Give I'm gonna be the, wrecked. So yeah. Trip details. Yeah. Trip so we. Uh, so my son and I will be leaving here Friday. Uh, Friday midday. Um, we'll get into Atlanta early enough that we're actually gonna go take in a Braves game that night, and then we'll uh, that evening, kind of late evening, we'll drive down probably kind of midway between Atlanta and Auburn. Just hotels are a bit cheaper that way. We'll spend the night there. Get up early the next morning. Um, and head into Auburn with my dad and my grandpa, who was the Auburn alum, and my dad, who lived there as a, as a little guy. Apparently, according to my grandma, War Eagle was like the first words my dad uttered as a kid. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, so it's not we'll, unusual down there. No, no, down there, I think that's pretty common. So, yeah, we'll get down there nice and early, um, you know, go do the usual stuff, visit the bookstore. Um, Usually we kind of go, you know, we like to go look at all the old buildings like where my grandpa went to class. 
a few of those are still there. Um, you know, see where my grandparents lived in like the uh, off-campus student housing back in those days. And uh, we will take it the game. It'll be fantastic. I'm sure we will have some Waffle House for breakfast probably before the game. <laughs> um, and then we're going to see some some family down there Sunday. Uh, I think we're having a wonderful brunch at Cracker Barrel, of course, as, as one always should. And then we'll be uh, flying back Sunday night. So quick out and back, but it's going to be cool. We're very excited. No issues. No issues. You're not going to have any issues getting into uh, Atlanta? It doesn't look like it. So that storm's going to push north. So um, weather looks clear getting in Friday. We might have some rain as we leave Sunday. Um, but thankfully, Atlanta is not in the direct path. And any, it's far enough off. rain for the game? Uh, it doesn't look like it. actually looks like maybe some scattered thunderstorms. Not from the hurricane, but just... Yeah. Just normal. Just normal stuff. South Alabama stuff, dude. Yeah. So it's going to be an awesome time down there on the plains and obviously a bit of a revenge game. You know, it's funny. Auburn has really, really struggled in Baton Rouge now for what seems like forever, but they have beaten LSU pretty consistently at home the last few years. They have. And And it's actually been the home team wins. Yeah. The home team's kind of taken the last little bit. So I think it's going to be a very fascinating matchup. I'm curious to see what you guys think, obviously, is the, less biased observers i i'm i'm with you in in the sense that i'm not sold on lsu um i i mean yeah i guess they they start off fine but um that's kind of yet to be seen as well but it's uh i'm much more convinced of auburn than i am lsu right now i'm not very confident in in their quarterback especially as compared to jared Sidham. so mm-hmm. um I think Auburn has a much stronger uh, offense than they do, a much more more weapons than they do, and Auburn's defense is solid. And I actually don't think that this is going to be that close of a game. I, I would expect Auburn to win by uh, ten or fourteen points. All right, so Cameron, your thoughts. So <clears throat> that's interesting that. Uh that Steven you think it's not going to be a very close game because I could see this one coming down to you know at most being like a 24-17 with a, a touchdown separation but I I probably see it even as a 2017 or a, you know something like that and that would actually be under the uh, the over under um, that's at 44 and a half so I just feel like, you know, there, there's not – I'm looking at some of the offensive uh, stats on uh, on these two teams, and it, it's not like a Clemson or, uh, you know, an Alabama, in my opinion, as far as just nutty points or an Ohio State. And it seems like it's set up for, for a, a game of ebbs and flows of someone, someone answers – uh, someone gets up, someone answers, and you know maybe field position plays a, a part in this, and a couple of field goals here and there. So, I here here would be my question: How who does uh, Auburn have running the ball? I, I know they've got uh, um, Stidham as their quarterback, but. Yeah, so Cam Martin. Cam Martin's been the starter for the most part, and then you've got kind of a an assortment of guys behind him. And obviously, last week playing Alabama State, they went pretty heavy on the. They went deep pretty fast. Had some true freshmen out there, some very quick and speedy guys. Who I think will be a lot of fun to watch and look at. Um, the other guy we'll see probably a good amount of is uh, Jatravius Whitlow. Um, they call him Booby for whatever reason because you know it's the <laughs> South. That's how they do things. Um, but but I, I think we'll see a little bit of Anthony Schwartz. I think we'll see some of Sean Shivers. You know, both of these guys, true freshmen that have a ton of potential. Um, but I think to your point, Cameron, what's going to be interesting in this game? It's Auburn obviously ran through Alabama State last week. That doesn't mean much, you know, playing at FCS school. But they did struggle to get the run going against Washington. And Washington obviously is a very elite, very tough defensive line. They're going to face something similar in LSU. That's one of the things LSU is always very good at. So it really is, I think, going to rest a lot on Stidham to move the ball well through the air. 
and hopefully Auburn can find a way to kind of set some sort of kind of just tone and cadence and a bit of momentum with the running game because I can see the running game potentially get a little bit bogged down still against LSU. But on the flip side, I don't know what LSU is going to do offensively against Auburn. Because yeah. Joe Burrow has not really done a whole lot yet to really stand out, and you can make the case that Joe Burrow is probably quite a bit worse than <laughs> our buddy at Washington. Obviously, Jake Browning's a much better QB than Joe Burrow, and I have a sense that the Auburn D-line is going to eat Joe Burrow's lunch quite a bit. But I wouldn't be surprised if this ends up being like a 9-3 to type of game, right? Or like a 12-3 to type of just, just a slugfest. I think Auburn's defense... It has definitely more of an advantage over LSU's offense. Um, Auburn will struggle to score points, but I think their offense is just that much better. Or their defense is that much better. I mean, I think LSU is going to be definitely one-sided on the rushing side. And, -hmm. and, you know, if if Auburn's defense, which I think they can, if they can stop them and kind of stuff them there, then, I, I mean, I don't see how they're going to put up very many points and now I've, I've just got more confidence in Jared Stim or than than I do on the LSU side so hopefully that's um, not unfounded but I and he hasn't really done much yet this year but hopefully this is you know it's kind of a home game huge game and uh, too bad it's not a night game that would make it even better but yeah um, it uh, it promises to be nice and warm down there in Alabama for you, but uh, it's gonna be ninety one degrees at kickoff, so that's not gonna be fun. Yeah, that should be exciting. And ninety one and ninety one percent humidity. Yeah, exactly. But um, I'm just more confident on the the Auburn offense than I am on the LSU offense. I think both defenses are fine, but I'm just more confident on the Auburn side. Yeah, and I think the um, really what we're looking at too. It's this is an Auburn team that went up. You know, had a 20-point lead in Baton Rouge last year and then let it all kind of slip away because they really let themselves get too one-dimensional offensively. And we've seen Auburn go into these ruts from time to time, right, where it's run up the middle on first and second down and then everyone is knowing, everyone knows a pass is coming on third down. And that's going to need to change a little bit, right? They're going to need to get a little more diverse offensively. But... Again, the potential's there. They did have that big lead last year, and I think another year under the belt for Stidham. Auburn still has a chance to win this game, hopefully by by a comfortable margin. As it stands, I think, though, we've got the trifecta of the all three of us taking Auburn in this because uh, I'm just not sold on LSU's offense, similar to Steven's thoughts on that. Now, that being said, given my luck, I'm going to travel all the way down there, they're going to lose. So. Oh. <laughs> That'd be awful. Oh, that'd be miserable. Be absolutely miserable. So, but I, but I, I think that the gap between these teams it's been very very narrow, and there's been years where LSU has been better. But I think at this moment the the talent gap favors Auburn. So hard not to be optimistic. Well, guys, with that being said, next week we will talk about these games. Let's also talk about, of course, I'll come back with a full report from Auburn, and let's talk about some in-person college football experiences next week best games we've seen best best environments we've been to and the like i think that'll be a lot of fun are you uh gonna make it to montgomery at all we are actually going to montgomery to see my uh, my grandpa's brother so we'll be there sunday morning i might uh send you some some food recommendations yes please do because we're actually looking for some good barbecue to have probably saturday night because i think we'll drive up there saturday night after the game and stay there before we see family on Sunday. So, all right. Yeah, send some over to you. That'd be awesome. Absolutely. All right, guys, it has been fun. Happy football to all, and we'll be back next week. Thanks, everybody. Yep, thank you. Thank you, as always, everyone, for listening to the pod. We've been trying real hard to get a more consistent cadence for both college football and the Niners this season. Hopefully, you guys are enjoying that. With that in mind, Drew and I will not be doing a rapid reaction to the Niners Sunday night because I'll be on a plane, but look for that Monday. And, of course, next week, a full report from the trip to Auburn. Please don't forget, of course, to rate and review us on iTunes. Those go a long way towards iTunes promoting the pod 
and making it visible to others who might be stumbling across that kind of stuff. Of course, you can also visit us online, irrationalsportspod.com, for the full back library of all of our previous episodes. And feel free to send us any questions to irrationalsportspod at gmail.com. And we'll be back with more football next week. (laughs) 